You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. But there's a, a Pusik in the Parsha that uh, a, a, a halacha comes out of, which I think is very crucial. Um, it's a halacha that played a great role in a drama that occurred in the mid-19th century. So the, the Pusik that I'm referring to, the Pusik at the, at the end of uh, uh, Perak Ches says that Noach built a Mizbeach and he brought Korbonos on the Mizbeach. God smelled the Reach on Yichoach. And God said, I'm no longer going to curse the land because of man. There won't be a mabel, it sounds like he's saying. And the rationale is, Because man has got something inside of him that starts when he's young, that begins this, this, fantasy situation in his mind, as the Malbum says, Yetzir, he makes Tziurim in his head, and that comes from a, a youthful fantasies that sort of stay with him, and that sort of gets him to do things that are rash and and, and, and against his better nature, and therefore, lo osifod lakos is kolchai. There's not going to be a Mabel anymore. God, in a way, recognizes the power of the Sahara, But there's going to be a change. Od kol The way the earth is going to be now, Now we know, Chazal say, again, these are terms that refer to the seasons. There's when you plant. That's about right now, by the way. That's that's called the Zara, Zara period, the period of Tishrei and Cheshvan. Kotzir, of course, is in the spring, the middle to late spring when you start harvesting. The Kor, of course, is the period of real cold. That's going to be like January, February. The Chom is like July and August. And then you have Kayetz, which is towards the end of the summer, like September, August and September, like September, that's Kayetz and that's Kayetz. And then Choref is, I guess, the end of February and March, that's sort of where you have uh, the plants that start to, uh, to to spring up. Yom Velayla, day and night, lo yishbosu. So the simple shot here is, is that there's going to be these seasons. They might be four, it might be six. Maybe you want to, however you're going to divide the year, it's not going to be the way it was in the Mabel. Now the Sfarno and others say that the world changed at this point. God was saying that there's going to be, in other words, the Sfarno speculates that there might have been temperate climate the whole year round, but now there's going to be 
the seasons are going to really buffet us, and 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 and, and humankind is going to rock is going to reel with that. And the Sferno says that's going to make it harder to get through life. You're going to have to work harder to get the, your your produce, but also the the seasons themselves, the weather itself is not always going to be our friend, and there's going to be changes, and that in itself is sort of like goes hand in hand with the shortening of everybody's life. People's lives are going to be shortened as well because it isn't going to be, this Farno says, and again, he didn't really know astronomy, maybe in the way we know it. It isn't going to be where the the earth and the, and, and the sun and the moon are aligned in a way that somehow mankind always has 70 degree weather every day. There's going to be intense heat, intense cold. And also, it's not going to be the the end of us as Viyom Velayla Lo Yishbosu. Now, Rashi says the simple shot is, is that because in the Mabul, it's almost like anyone on earth and the people in the in the Mabul, the people in the Teva didn't know night and day. They didn't see a difference between night and day. There's also an understanding that some of Farsham say that in a way, the earth didn't even move on its axis to have night and day. It was like, dark. again, how that could happen, I don't know. But for at least during the period of the Mabu, it was completely dark. So this Pasuk seems to be saying that the planet is going to be different. It's going to be tougher. But as the Nitziv and the Malbim say, it's going to be better for man in a way. Because we're going to keep man busy. We're going to keep man, yeah, he's going to live long, shorter. He's not going to have so much idle time to destroy things with. He's not going to be able to have so much, right? And therefore, if that's really the point, and it's a sacrifice, because we don't have the long lives, as Ferno says, of the previous generations, but it's worth it because look what they did with that gift of long life and temperate weather and not having to work as hard as mankind's going to have to work now. Now, all of this isn't just a pshat and chumash. It also leads to the last part of the Pusik. So the simple pshat is, is that day and night, it's all right. It's going to happen. Day and night shall not cease. But Rishlokish says, the Gemara in Sanhedrin and Daphne Nuches, that Goy Sheshovas Chayev Misa, that if a non Jew um, decides that he's not going to work, he's worthy of death. Because it says, Yom Velayla Lo Yishbosa. Now the Gemara in Sanhedrin wonders, is that one of the Zion mitzvos? So the Gemara says it doesn't count for one of the Zion mitzvos, even though Rishlokish's drush is very nice, because it's one of the mitzvos that is only done uh, by not doing something. The other Zion mitzvos, uh, you have to do something. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, not doing a Vodazara. So the Gemara has a question about it. Not eating Abraham and Achai. 
So the Gemara really is, is, is plays around with why it's not counted as one of the Zion mitzvahs. Uh, the mitzvah of a goy not, has to not keep Shabbos. A goy has to. The Gemara actually says the opposite. The Gemara says that means a goy has to do something. He has to actually act. When it comes to Aver Menachai, he doesn't eat Aver Menachai. He doesn't do Avodah Here, Lo Yishbosa means he must be proactive. So Rashi explains in Sanhedrin what this means is God wants Goyim working. The, 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 the B'nai Noach need to not, not take time off. The same, that's, that's what happens after the Mabul. What happens after the Mabul is, is that the planet and the human beings who live in that planet, idleness destroys them. Just like temperate weather and long lives destroy them, having a day completely devoted to being idle, that is the, that's the chink in the armor that will begin the, the dissolution of humanity. Work itself is a very important principle. Work, being involved in work. And therefore, even though this seems to be talking about the, 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 the stars, the heavens, the planets, what causes winter and spring and all these different periods to happen, it's all in one, Rishalakish says, about what human beings need to do. Human beings need to be at work. Okay. So that is the, and, and that is the formulation of the Gemara. Now, the, if, if the Rambam describes this a little bit differently, uh, because the Gemara goes on to say, even if he picks a weekday to take off, even if he picks a Sunday to take off, even if he picks a Tuesday to take off, he's still guilty of this sin of Akum even if he picks a weekday. All right. Um, the Rambam in Hilchas uh, Melochim explains this as something called Chidush Dos, that this is the idea of the Goy creating his own holiday. The Goy can't create a holiday that's a knockoff of what the Jews do. If a guy wants to become a Jew, he can, the Rambam says. But if he just wants to be his own guy and create his own version of Judaism and have his own week of his own day, and that aligns with sort of like a, a, a what we do, so that person um, is guilty of death. Now, do we actually? Now, obviously, this has a lot of uh, relevance. Here's the language of the Rambam. The Rambam combines the Loch of Rishlokish with the Loch of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan Center talks about a non-Jew learning Torah. So here's the Rambam. Goy she'osak b'Torah chayiv misa. Lo yasak el b'sheve mitzvah sholen belvad. V'chein goy she'shovas afil b'yom yimos hachol. Yimosol la'atzmo kamo Shabbat if he turns that day into a Shabbos day, he's Chayiv Misa. And for sure, if he makes it more than just a day of rest, 
he, he, he gives it a significance. He goes and says, this is a, a special day. It has to do with, who knows, you know, uh, whatever it's supposed to be a, a commemoration of. O son, we don't let the non-Jews create their own religion. And to do their own mitzvahs. You can either join Judaism completely or stay the way you are. Seven mitzvahs are pretty comprehensive. It leads you into a certain morality of life. You don't need to do any more, and you shouldn't, unless you want to join us. But if he continues, he says, I want to study your Torah. I want to have a day that I'm going to call Shabbos, or any sort of chidish davar. So if we are able to control them, which is, of course, a utopian world that doesn't exist at all today. It's unrealistic. And the Rambam, it wasn't true in the time of the Rambam. I don't know if it's ever been true, but the Rambam didn't write his book to reflect the reality on the ground. The Rambam wrote his book to reflect the purity of what the law should be. We actually beat him up. We tell him, you know, you violated what God wants, but you don't actually kill him. So that is the opinion of the Rambam about, now, how he gets this from our Pusik is very difficult. Um, the Rambam says it's not about Shabbos. See, according to the simple Pshad in the Gemara, based on the Pusik, based on Rashi. The simple pshat in the Gemara is, keep them busy. The Rambam says not about keeping busy. The Rambam says it's about them um, not being their own religion. God has enough. There's, there is a, uh, there is a, um, a distinction between Jew and non-Jew. The non-Jew has seven mitzvahs. If he wants to go further than that, the only other religion in the Rambam's mind that has any validity is pure Judaism. You don't want pure Judaism? Then be a Noahide. That's according to the Rambam. Now, and if, and if, there's, if there's an attempt to shift away and create their own version of something, that's already what... The Gemara means that you're high of Misa. The Rambam has definitely uh, done a lot of damage to the original Gemara. Not damage, but you can't really see it from the Gemara. At all. Again, look at the Gemara. Amr Ishlokesh Nachesh Shavas of Misa. So why do you kill him? And Ravina says, So according to the symbol Peshat and the Gemara, this is something Goyim should be doing. Work, work, work. And if it's already uh, uh, an Isur, whenever it comes to anything that's written in the term of an Isur, low, that means they get killed. They don't have gradations. 
There's an idea that the Gemara and Sanhedrin develops that the Bnei Noach do not have gradations. They don't have things that they get makas for, things that they get pay money for, things that they die for. The Goyim die for everything. The Goyim don't have a lot of things they can't do, but whatever it is they can't do, the death sentence is placed on them. Asara zui misosa. Okay? So now, if we look at Rashi there, Rashi in Sanhedrin says, See the Rashi Nami, not only the planets, it's people. And why? Rashi says, even Ravina says, even if it's a Sunday, even though it's the Sunday that the Christians use. It's not it's not just against the Christians, this Easter. Ravina says, don't think that Rishlokish means you're doing it with Shum Chova Komar. Which is exactly the opposite of the Rambam. Don't think Rishlokish means he's doing it because I must rest today. And don't think it's only against the Christians. Even if it's just, man, I need a day off. I'm going to do nothing today and sit in my hammock. We don't want them not doing melocha. So that is the way Rashi looks at it. Question? Go ahead, Sheila. Uh, so they just cannot not do melacha, but they can take a day off. But we're not saying they can't not work, but they can go and do barter and they can... They okay, can, very good. <laughs> okay, so this gets into what exactly, according to Rashi, they cannot, they can, they need to do on that day. In other words, they cannot have a whole 24-hour day dedicated to zero. But can they, do they have to go into their job? No. They can putter around the house and do stuff. Sitting on the uh, on the hammock, though, and just taking it easy. And now you could say, well, they turned the TV on. That was something. That was some sort of activity. So this really gets into a, an interesting question that that my good friend Rabbi Adler, Rabbi Chanan Adler, who helped me in, in sending me some sources for this, here uh, points out. According to Rashi, is it is it part of the idea of stay creative? Is that what it's about? Right? Is it about being creative? So maybe even though they're not working, in other words, Rabbi Adler points out in a beautiful article, there's two things that you know Adam was told, Redu Kivshuasaretz. Conquer the planet. Now one could say, when you go to your work, when you work at your GM Motors and you help make... Netflix has a lot of horror movies released. When you work at GM and you help make more cars or uh, you even work as a busboy at a restaurant, you could say you're helping the extension of the planet. The idea of redu kivshuas aretz, miluv redu kivshuas aretz, fill the planet with humans who, because you're part of something, 
you're the bus boy in Red Lobster. You're part of human beings expanding and 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 and, and hunting and taking food, etc. So you could say that's all part of work, because that's what man is supposed to do. You're, the, the primordial man was out there discovering, like the you know the American Indian, discovering new territory for for hunting. But now that we've become more civilized, you could say what it's about is extending man everywhere, right? Whatever is, whether it's, whether it's capitalism, there's going to be another thing opening. We're going to build another stuff. I'm going to go to work to help those contractors be able to file their bills properly. It could all be seen, do you hear what I'm saying? As part of man expanding the planet. That has to always continue. Reduke Yeshuasaurus. That's one way, Rabbi Adler says. What about the concept of the weekend and the four-day work week? So that would be, again, according to the way Sorry? Rashi learns in the Gemara, that is verboten for the non... But, but, but again, that would be, that's according to that way, that there shouldn't be weekends. You should stay at some... Now, you could take a day off of work and decide, I, you know, I'm going to do some stuff uh, not getting paid for, but I'm also going to do some, uh, I'm going to do more gardening. I'm going to, I'm going to make my land around my backyard look better. That's also reduvikivshuasaretz. Okay. Or I might decide I'm going to do habitat for humanity, right? I'm not going to get paid for it, but I'm going to go do stuff. So all of that is examples of not being idle and continuing. Sometimes it's altruistic. Sometimes it's for money, but it's about you know, the expansion of man on the planet in some way. He could be a benevolent expander. doesn't have to be this dictator, but that could be the idea. That needs to be constant every single day. There can't be a day that man does not act in some fashion. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it, Rabbi Adler says, or Bokhanan Adler says, is that it's based on the idea of acting creatively. We know that the malachas, for example, let's talk about our man on our hammock. The guy on the hammock, let's talk about him for a minute. The guy on the hammock gets some gefilte fish with bones. Not gefilte fish, regular fish with bones. He starts separating them. What did he get originally? A mess of fish with bones and, and and meat of the fish together. Sitting on that hammock with the mint julep in the left hand, but in his right hand, using his fork, he has now separated stuff. Wow, he did something creative. He did a creative act. That might also be what this idea is, is that he must continue to be creative that he does an act of creativity on that day. And that would mean, yeah, he doesn't work, but it's it's about, you know, that 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 creativity can't stop. Those are the 39 malochos are the Torah's version of what it means to be a creative person. To ch- to, to change the size of something to change something that's raw meat and to cook it. So the guy on Sunday gets up before he goes to his hammock 
and and he puts the sausage the sausage link which is raw onto the frying pan and he changes it from raw meat to tasty meat that might also now the planet has not been expanded but that also might be what's important for him to do he needs so those are two possibilities in rashi but both of those possibilities are limited to shabbos only whereas according to the rambam shabbos is just the is almost like the pure example of what it means to have your own religion. Since it happens every week, and it's so different than what you do during the day, it stands for, hey, I've got my own religion. I take off today. That's why Shabbos is so um, radical. Because, you know, originally the idea of taking a day off and, and being dedicated to something else other than what you do is the way you indicate, I have got a religion. I've got something that isn't part of my normal life. It's a moed. And that a goy can't have, according to the Rambam. So those are two very distinct, according to the Rambam, it's not so much about doing something creative. So for example, if the person does it because he's just lazy, you probably are not over. According to the Rambam, if a person just decides to take the day off, he he hasn't added to the creativity of the world, or he hasn't added to uh, conquering the world or pushing the planet any further. He has not violated the Yisur. He only violates the Yisur if he's trying to, hey, what is with that guy? Why is he being so careful? Oh, I, I, I will not. It must be he's sort of like adopting something, and he can't adopt and make his own religion. So, so I hope I've clarified the two opinions. There is a third opinion, which I, which 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 this is Rabbi Adler's sheet, which he quotes here. I just want to show it to you as well. From the Meiri. Let's look at the Meiri in, in the Sanhedrin. Uh, the Meiri was a, uh, a Rishon that those of you that come to my fundamental shear know that we we, we, we check the Meiri often, and uh, the gift of the Meiri as given to learning is, is 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 great for especially for weak learners like ourselves. Um, however, um, the Meiri also had a very liberal view towards Christianity, as we know. And there's been a lot of debate as to did he really like Christians or was he just writing that way because he was afraid that they might, especially there were many Christians who who had become Christians after they had they were they were Jews and what they might do is um, what they might do is actually um, know what we're saying. So let's take a look at uh, what the Meiri says. Uh, so the Miri, that's a question whether he's an apologist or an actual liberal, uh, you know, a tolerant person. Ben Noach shereinu mischaseid v'koveo la'atzmo yemei menucha. If we see the Ben Noach gives himself a yom menucha, a Shabbos or a Yontav, he should be punished. And he says that's the remez that we say, uh, we punish him. And we tell him, come on, like Joe Biden would say, come on, man. Oh, Shekabah of all mitzvahs. 
you know, come on, you, you, you can be a Jew. Right? Don't take some of our laws and say, hey, I'm just borrowing them. Even if he's got different days than we have, we don't want him to do that and to make his own Chag and to call it a Chag. You know why? Because people will think he's a Jew. Not because, you know, we, we want to crush their religion. Because if he is if, if he's the minority and we're the majority, and, and he he means it well, we tell him, we know you mean well, but do not do this. Because people are going to think you're, you're sort of like a, a Jewish sectarian, that you're a Jew. And then there's going to be other Jews who say, hey, isn't he Jewish? He does it this way. I'm going to go like him. We don't stop from doing other mitzvahs. We take his korbonos, we take his tzedakah. Um, and, and he gets into, um, that if he wants to learn Torah, uh, what's the situation? Um, but if he's only doing Sheva mitzvahs, that's okay. So according to the Me'iri, this, uh, and it comes from our Pasuk and Parshas Noach, look how far we've gone away from the simple pshat in the Pasuk and Ravina and Rashi. And part of it is the Rambam and, and the Me'iri not buying into this idea. They are looking at it philosophically. They're looking at it in a way that one really has to admit they're doing some damage to the actual text. At least the text doesn't seem to justify what they're saying, but that's the only way they can understand it. So according to the Meiri, the reason why we're, we're, we have a his, we're so have conniptions over this non-Jew doing this is because who knows, he can might lead other Jews astray. All right? So knowing all that, the background of the idea of a goyi Let's now go to the story itself, the way it happened. Um, this was a question that was asked from Rabbi Osher Lemel Forst. Osher Lemel Forst was an interesting man. Um, he made Aliyah in 1843. He only lived in Eretz Yisrael. He only was Zoha to be alive for eight years in Eretz Yisrael. But he's buried at Harazesim. And he's spoken about as a great, great man. He's a young man. He was he, he was he was born in the city of Rivkivager, Poznan. Poznan or Poznan in Poland. Western Poland. It was a city that was considered more um liberal in some ways than eastern Poland. It was a city that Germany they felt a connection to Germany as well, because it was not that far from the German border, and I guess in, in previous years, it had a lot of influence from from the from the German speakers and the German mentality. Um, he was born there. It seems like he even got to know, although Ricky Vega was already older at that time. But it seems like he was able to definitely benefit from being around Ricky Vega, the Godel Ador, the great Rosh Hashiva, the great Rov, and he had a dream. 
when he was about 30-something years old, that he should go to Eretz Yisrael. And he already was a Rav in Galen. He already was a Rav in a small city. And he was really at a career. His father-in-law was a big Talmud Chochem. He could have gone to, to, to achieve perhaps other uh, rabbinical positions in Europe, but his dream took him to Eretz Yisrael. And he arrived in Eretz Yisrael, and he was recognized by the Yerushalmi community as a young man with a tremendous amount of potential. And 30s and 40s wasn't considered so young then. And he became part of the Bezdin of the Ashkenazim of Rishmul Salanter. Rishmul Salanter was gone, though. Rishmul Salanter, he was around, he was alive. But this day, right before Chodesh Nisan in 1848, Rishmul Salanter wasn't around. Where was Rishmul Salanter? His grandson tells us that Rishmul Salanter was in Warsaw at the time, going to various cities in Russia, Warsaw, uh, Poland, because he had an idea that he can collect money in Europe to create a great Ashkenazi yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. And he was going to to, to put that Ashkenazi yeshiva uh, in the old city by the Rabbiuda Chosid, the Churva, or the Chotzer Rabbiuda Chosid. Well, he was leaving for a long time. It took months to be able to go to the cities in Europe and get money. So this young fellow, who was called here by Yechil Michal a tzaddik, Rav so Rav was in charge of the Bezdin. And what happened? He writes this letter immediately after the incident. And he writes this letter to the same exact letter. He writes to two people. He writes to Rashmul Salant, who's the head of the Bezdin. And Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger, the the Orach Laner, the Rav of Mannheim, uh, but now actually the Rav of Altona, someone who had risen in the German uh, rabbinic world and was considered not only very well versed in, in, in knowledge of, of languages, uh, he had, as you know, he had a yeshiva where they learned secular studies. And there was no suspicion about him. He was considered by many one of the post-Geador. There were people, I guess, in Eastern Europe that didn't necessarily elevate him in the same status. But where Rav Asher was from, he felt that Rav Yaakov Etlinger was someone he wanted to turn to for a psaac, whether he did the right thing, because he was told he didn't do the right thing. What happened? There was a who had had a bris in front of us. Now, most people think this is Morocco. I, I, the other night I gave a shear about this and I read it as Morocco. But it was not Morocco. If you look at... Um, um, what, what I was just reading from was copied from this journal. 
this journal was a journal that was printed um, throughout the 1840s and 1850s in Altona under the 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 editorship of the Orach Laner. It came out every two weeks. It was called Shomer Tzion Aneman. And it was full of, of, of droshos and sometimes things from the Rishonim that they had found, manuscripts. It was like a gilyon. Today, you go online, you can find a thousand gilyonim, a thousand different things to download before Shabbos. This was like a, 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 a it was like about eight pages that they would print and send out throughout Germany and other parts of, of, of Easter, of Western Europe and reaching sometimes into Eastern Europe. Uh, and it came out every two weeks. And sometimes you have to wait two weeks for the continuation. If you take a look here in the original, and I'm going to make it a little bit larger. Usher Lemel, who had been in Galen, and he says, someone came to us, me Medinas, not Morocco, right? It should be, it sounds like Farkaka, Farakaka. This is an Aleph, and this is a Mem, it should have been. Because remember, the letter was in Ettlinger's possession. And therefore, it needed to be transcribed into this journal, into this in, into this bi-weekly journal. So they were reading off of a manuscript, reading off of a letter. So they wrote, but this was actually America. Someone had come to Amer- from America as a Gerd Sedek, to become a Gerd Sedek to Yerushalayim. Warder Crescent, as you can see, the first U.S. consul to Yerushalayim. At the time that he came in 1848, and he was 50 years old, who was he? Well, he was a Quaker. Um, as you can see, um, one of the found is he came from the Sedors of Harlem. Um, you can see here that even in 1830, when he was a young man, he felt that there's an ex- extravagance and evil tendencies. Quakers need to be better. Now, of course, Quakers, as you know, were, were, were very uh, careful in, in, in being non-combative, of being pacifists, of, of being very religious. But he felt the Quakers in America were going down. He met a Jew, Isaac Lesser. He wasn't a religious Jew, Isaac Lesser. But he was basically religious in the sense that he felt religion needed to be changed a little bit. And in many ways, he stood against reform. Here's his picture. So he met Isaac Lesser in Philadelphia. And Isaac Lesser, Yitzchak Lesser, convinced him that Judaism is something. 
maybe not for you, but then he, he read other writings that Jews need to live in Israel, Mordechai, Manuel, Noah. Um, somehow, he was able to become the consul, the U.S. consul in Yerushalayim. And part of the reason why he wanted this job is not to work for the United States as much as he wanted to pursue the truth. And then he said, that he wanted to become a Jew. And even before he became a Jew, he, he took a new name, Michoel, Michoel, Boaz, Michoel, Boaz Yisrael. That was going to be his name. Um, as you can see, March 19, 1848, he was circumcised and converted to Judaism. Now, all of that is fact. The court declared him insane. He, he left his wife because she didn't want to become a Jew. Um, very famous case about whether he's considered crazy that he wants to leave uh, Christianity, Quaker Christianity, and become a Jew. And he was part of the shul there. Um, and eventually, um, he went back to Eretz Yisrael um, and he married a Jewish woman, Rachel Maladano. And he had children there. And he lived like a Sephardi. And he was buried at Harazesim. That is all true. But by the but when and you see an incredible story, L'shem Shemayim, a Tzedek, Both he and Lemel were very spiritual people, but they came together on this Shabbos afternoon. And I want to read to you what happened in Lemel's own words. We've met this man, this Crescent. And he decided to accept mitzvahs. And he also did what? He would assume he got the bris milo there as well. I would assume, you know, um, they did a bris milo on him. And he'd already said he wanted to do mitzvahs. The next Shabbos, though, after he had had the bris, he had not yet been healed, and he could not go to the mikvah for medical reasons. So, Rav Lemu, remember the background. Rav Salant is in Europe. The young, youngish Rav Lemu is sort of taking care of the Bezdin. People come to him and say, Hey, you know, that Crescent, that, that Quaker from America, he really is, 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 he means it. We know, we, we passed by his house where he's keeping Shabbos. And even though he's definitely feeling ill 
He refuses to let the non-Jewish woman who's there, or the maid, to cook for him because he doesn't want to violate the idea of Amir Lenochri. So when Rav Lemel first, Rav Usher, heard about this, he said, what? This is already Shabbos after Mincha. He heard about it. He said, you know what? You're saying he's not doing malacha, and he's not letting the goyim, the other goyim, do malacha for him. He needs to do malacha. He needs to do a malacha in a Torah, because as a not, he's still not a Jew yet. He hasn't yet had his dip in the mikvah. He has to do malacha, and therefore this this love, lo yishbosu, which forces him to be active. He needs to do that. Go go go. Look, I can't get to his house, but go tell him in my name that as the uh, Rav Salant left me in charge, I represent the Bezdin of the Ashkenazim in Yerushalayim. You have to go and, 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 and tell him to to be Machalel Shabbos. It was already after Mincha by that time. And what did he do? He wrote some letters. Some say he wrote his name. Now here too, we talked about what does he need to do, right? What he needed to do was to write something. He needed to write possibly his own name. I don't know what he wrote. It says here he wrote a couple of letters. I can imagine he was just learning how to write Hebrew or he had learned how to write Hebrew because writing in English might not have been enough. Could be you need to be Machalo Shabbos Minatora, possibly. And we know that there are Shittas that hold that that writing in other languages is not considered writing that you're Machal considered Machalo Shabbos for. Anyway, there's other descriptions that he was crying when he was writing. That as he was writing, he said, no. I, I had the circumcision. I'm just one step away. I'm part of you. And you can see such a um, altruistic man, a man who has such feeling of his religion, was told, now you need to take this piece of paper and take the quill out, and you need to write. And they said he was crying. And through his tears, he said, I will follow the Besden. If the Besden says to do this, this is what I'm going to do. But then people heard about it. People heard about what the interesting psak, the um, Rabbi Avram Gagin was the Chocham Bashi and the Rishon Lutzion. He was the official emissary between the Jews and the Turkish government because they didn't yet recognize the Ashkenazim to be worth anything. There'd always been some bad, there'd been bad blood for hundreds of years between the Arab overrulers and the Ashkenazim and Yerushalayim. Still, he was he was the Rav of the Sephardim, the head Sephardi Rav, not only of Yerushalayim, but considering of the whole country in his mind. Rav Avram Gagin, Agan, he used to call himself, Rav Agan. Chaim Avram Gagin, I think. Anyway. When they heard about it, they said, how can you say that? And there was other Ashkenazi Chachamim who also agreed. 
He's already been makabal mitzvos. He had brismila. He said he's makabal those mitzvos. He's just waiting to go to the mikvah. How could you say he could write his name? They said we've had other gerim. He's not the first. We never heard people of psak, and we've had other rabbanim or shmosalant never said that you had to tell the guy to be machal shabbos. Where do you have the right to be machadish something when no one has said it before? Or if Lemel stuck to his guns, he said, Look, you're right, maybe nobody said it yet, but maybe this is my Torah to be able to say that. Now, I have to defend myself, he writes. Again, this is a letter that he's writing to Etlinger. He says, look, I know you're going to say, why didn't I go ask anybody? It's not like I'm in Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, there's Rabbanim all over the place. Why didn't I ask other Rabbanim if I'm right in telling this man to be to write his name or to whatever I told him he must do? It would have been that would have been the right thing to do. It was it was March, right? It wasn't like it's such a long afternoon. It was spring, so maybe spring was about to, but it still was not a long day. It's already after Mincha, and if I go go to the other rabbis and present the question, it's Shabbos will be over. And anyway, I thought clearly there's no Isser in what he's doing. There's definitely no Isser Daraisa. He's not a Jew yet. He hasn't been over an Isser Daraisa by writing, the, by writing something. And we know when it's only a question of a derabanon, and you feel that you're correct, Avdin and Uvda, you do what you think is correct, and then you speak about it later. Especially, there's not even an Isser derabanon here, I believe. In fact, there's a mitzvah that he will violate as a ben noach if he does not do some sort of malacha. Now, all those other Rabbonim kept on saying, well, the lo- where's your logic? I said, no, the logic actually follows me. And I have proof. And then he goes on to prove it. Um, we don't have that much time to go through all his proofs. But he has proofs that he feels are very clear from the Gemara. That if he's not a Jew... There is a debate, he admits, what makes a person a Jew when he goes through the conversion process. Remember, we're talking about someone different than the Pusik is referring to. We're talking about someone who wants to be a Jew, who started the process already. <coughs> More than starting the process of learning, he's already allowed his body to be to, 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 to be to be to be operated on. More than that, he's also accepted at the time. A bracha was made by the Mohel. Still, Rav Frost said, Rav Ashram of Frost said, he's, uh, uh, if you read the Gemara, the Gemara says according to Rabbi Yochanan, according to Rabbi Yossi, there are Tanayim who disagree that a, that a ger is a ger before he goes to the mikvah, that he might be a ger just like with a bris milah. And, and, and they learn out from the Jews who are leaving Mitzrayim. 
All they had was a bris milah. They hadn't yet have any mikvah, but yet we consider them Klau Yisrael at that time. But there is, there are shittas that say that. But that's not the way we paskin. And therefore, as difficult as it is, the psak is you're not a Jew until the mila, the, the tvila happens. In fact, Rav Lemel said, Rav Osher said, the fact that he's makabal mitzvos, he might need to do kabovas mitzvos again. Meaning, the kabovas mitzvos that he said before he got the bris might not be enough. Since without going to the mikvah, it's not finished, he needs to be makabal mitzvos at that point a second time. They need to ask him again, does he agree? So the Kabbalah's mitzvahs that he happened before the bris is really incidental. Now he quotes a, a medrash that seems to go against him. I have a question. So Sheila asks um, that it's a pro- he's in the process, but he's not a Jew yet. The question that Sheila here is, is he in the in-between area now? In other words, is he the Gemaras talking about Goy, Sheshavas, Nochri, Akum, like the texts that we have with, right? right, right. right? Is, is, is he somehow something different already? He's in between, perhaps, but still not technically a Jew, so then not technically able so the, to. Right, which is what Rav Lemel says, that I admit that the, he's better than your average non-Jew, but unfortunately, he still hasn't reached it yet. Now, when he started, I guess, to write this letter, which was a couple of days later, he discovered this medrash, which might have been brought to his attention, which says, So the same statement that Rabbi Yochan Rosh makes, Rabbi Yossi Barchanina makes in the medrash, with the caveat that he has not yet had a bris. And the reason is Shalom Nitztavah, because he doesn't have the tzivui of Shabbos. And then it brings, interestingly, a marshal of why we, we, we tell a guy that he's high of Misa. And we bring this metaphor, not because he has to always work, and we quote Rabbi Yochanan, who's in the Gemara and Sanhedrin, the one who says, and Yavamas, I'm sorry, who says that uh, you're not a Jew yet till, till you go to the mikvah. And the same Rabbi Yochanan says, the same Chiyabar Abba Rabbi Yochanan says, the Moshal. Why is it that a, 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 a non-Jew is a Chay of Misa? He says, think about the way it is in the world. A king and his matrona. His matrona might be his his queen, his his queen that he desires to be with. Who's going to interrupt them? Someone interrupts them in their boudoir, you'd kill him. Shabbos is between us and God. A guy comes and sticks his head in there. Right till the time he's decided he's getting a bris, he's chayav misa. So, it seems from this medrash that once he decides the makabal mitzvahs of Mila, even if he hasn't yet had the bris, kibbul alav lamol should be enough. 
So this medrash actually seems to say sort of like the idea that we saw before. What's the reason why a guy who keeps Shabbos is Chayiv Misa? Because he's trying to, as a guy to keep Shabbos. He's trying to do it to make his own religion. He's trying to do it to copy. He doesn't deserve that love that God has for us. God has a specific love that's exhibited in Shabbos that the non-Jewish world somehow doesn't share in. And when a guy decides to do that, a non-Jew decides to do that, we believe that he has he has gone into the boudoir. Shabbos is such an intense, ecstatic love connection that a guy is on a different plane. He is he has he has invaded our space. He's taken liberties in his in, in his in his place in creation. But the Medrash says once. But that's before he's decided that he's becoming a Jew. So this medrash seems to be a complete rejection of the psak. So Rav Forrest says a very important yisod. He said, the Yershalmi, quoted by the Rashba, says that we do not learn halachos out of midrashim. Even though the names are the names of the same types of Amaroyim, in fact, the exact same Amora, Rabbi Chiyabar Abba Amor Rabbi Yochanan, the same statements that he himself used for his Psak before, but if those names appear in a Midrashic source, even though it doesn't seem to argue, we don't use that source as definitive. Um, he quotes a Tosas Yontif, he quotes a Chuvas Noda Yehuda. And Rabbi Nodibir was, was, was writing to one of the great Bikiyam of his time, Rabbi Shaya Pick. Rabbi Shaya Pick, who, who helped put the Masoras Hashas together, the Nodibir said, My Indian Medrash hates a Tosefta. A Tosefta is about Alochos. And therefore, we know who wrote it. And everything there is a Din Torah. But the Midrashim? Even when they seem to be halachic medrashim, the Iker kavanosam is about Musr and Ramosim. And it's not about Piske halachos. So you can't use it. Now, this is quite a statement because it isn't some sort of Musr that's here. But still, he says, the Medrash is arguing on our Gemara. Because what does the Medrash say the reason he's Chayiv Misa for? Because he doesn't have the command. It doesn't quote the Pasuk in Parshas Noach. So the Medrash is, 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 is a different perspective. The Medrash's perspective on this Isser is not the Gemara's perspective. Gemara and Medrash, then you go with the Gemara. In fact, if the Medrash is right, that it's about interfering with the, the the intimacy of God, Argomar says if he picks Tuesday, it's Osir. That wouldn't be connected to there. And Argomar says if it happens on Tuesday, Yechai of Misa too. So clearly the Medrash has a different, although it uses sort of halachic terminology and has those names, somehow the authors who put those perspective together is not the perspective of the Talmud Bavli, and therefore he feels the Medrash cannot bind him 
and he's going to go with the pshat and say it. Now, we're coming here towards the end, and I want to stop here. Rav Lemel made his case very strongly. Um, however, almost all the Rabbonim who heard about this, Rashmo Salanter, the Rachoner, and others, they all felt that he had made a mistake, that this was decidedly different than a non-Jew. He might not be a Jew yet, but he, he's already had a bris. And the bris, just like Shabbos is a bris, binds him together with the idea of the bris of Klal Yisrael, at least in terms that he's no, he's no longer part of that world, that he constantly has to be at work. And therefore, they felt that this was a, a mistake. The question came up at other times, and primarily Poskim today reject this psaac of Rav Usher. However, about 25 years ago or 30 years ago, Rav Yashiv Zatzal re-examined the situation and felt that there was a lot of credibility to the approach of Rav Usher Lemel in 1848. By the way, Rav Usher Lemel only lived another three years. He died in 1851. But this is probably his most um, famous psaac. And, you know, I, again, I think it's fascinating how these, you know, how the, for those couple of minutes on that Friday afternoon, on that Saturday afternoon, uh, how they were bound together. Um, the the very, uh, you know, altruistic, optimistic, um, well-intentioned men. And from there, you know, we, we get... Uh, Quite, I think, uh, quite an interesting halachic situation. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.